In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I never hear much about the Holy Spirit in the Presbyterian Church. A friend of mine said to me not long ago, and of course he could have said in a Methodist or a Lutheran or any other mainline church, why is that, he asked. Well, it's like this. Around these circles, you are apt to hear a lot about God the Father, God who is the creator, who, who set the universe in motion like a great clock. God is the creative, but alas, aloof hermit artist who shaped the world and then left it to us to figure out the rest. Or you may hear about God the Son, the fearless prophet from Galilee, the rabbinic teacher, Jesus, the man for all seasons, who some would say sets unattainable standards for the rest of us. But God, the Holy Spirit, my friend Tom says, he just doesn't hear much about that side of God. And of course, he's absolutely right. We honor God the Creator at least in part, because we can see nature. Ask any group of adults about their religious experiences, about times when they have felt closer to God. You will inevitably hear stories about some awesome place, some beautiful setting. And we pay homage to God the Son because, well, even people who don't believe that Jesus was divine still think that he was a marvelous person. And after all, they say, isn't that really the purpose of religion? To offer us these ethical examples and standards. But God, the Spirit? I mean, isn't that for those charismatics? We don't mind celebrating a day like this in Pentecost, wearing our red, that's all fine. But when Pentecost moves from being a noun to an adjective, uh, Pentecostal, we get a little nervous. That sounds foreign, exotic, sort of optional baggage for we modern folk who live in this clock-like world where people are busy helping themselves and getting ahead, being intentional, working out their own destinies, self actualizing. In this thinking, very predictable, human-centered world, do we really need a God who comes to us as spirit, as power? Please, God, we'd rather do it ourselves. And yet, how small is this flattened-out version of God when you set it next to the God that Isaiah points to in our Old Testament lesson this morning. This spirit proclaims good news to the oppressed and liberation to the captives, comforts those who mourn, empowering them to rebuild at the very places that their lives and their world has been torn apart. How puny, really, is our modern image of God compared to this liberating, empowering image of a living and life-giving 
God. When Jesus was baptized in the muddy Jordan River, the heavens, you remember, cracked open. Fire descended on him like a dove, and there was a voice. John the Baptist had predicted as much. I baptize you with water, he said, but there is one coming after me who is mightier than I. He shall burn you with fire. And so began Jesus' work. And his earthly work ends, it culminates with the risen Jesus coming back to his disciples. He says to them, wait for me in Jerusalem. I will come to you and I will give to you the same spirit that empowered me. So on this day of Pentecost, it was like the heavens cracked open again. Once again, there was fire and the rush of a liberating, empowering wind, which in Greek is the same word as spirit. It came upon them, breathing new life into these dead spirits, lighting a fire underneath them, inspiring them. That baptismal fire has since spread from a band of hopeless nobodies in Jerusalem to literally every nation in the world, so that there is now no corner of the earth where someone may not rise up and say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted and liberate those who are imprisoned. Power, fire, voice, leaping over every man-made boundary that we put in its way, be it racial or economic or political. That spirit was very much alive in a sermon that I heard recently by the Reverend Dr. Otis Moses III, a sermon entitled The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Dr. Moses speaks 5,000 steps, he says, 2.2 miles. A man just shy of his 26th birthday, Ahmad Asbury, stepped out into the sun and ran for his final time on this earth. 5,000 steps, 2.2 miles. He encountered two men who tested positive for the Confederate COVID-19, a disease often asymptomatic that spreads through human contact, through rhetoric, through ignorance, through family relationships. Ahmad Arbery, a man of potential, was attacked and killed by men infected with America's most common and potent viral agent. This virus attacks the eyes of the attacker, weaponizing the body, giving the illusion of blackness as a threat. It took 10 weeks for an arrest to be made due to the potency of this agent. It was necessary for a video to be released 
and pressure from prophetic voices to force the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to relieve the local Brunswick police authorities of their duty in this matter. Another life taken. Another public lynching. Another news story. Another act of recorded black death. It's disturbing, Dr. Moses went on to say. Our nation has become comfortable with these regular broadcasts of black bodies falling to the ground. It's become an unsolicited primetime series that we all hope and pray will be canceled from the consciousness of America's civic memory. 5,000 steps, 2.2 miles. The death of Ahmad Arbery is not an anomaly, but an historical pattern of behavior that binds every American to an unexamined history of our nation. Now, some will say, well, that was a small town in Georgia. What do you expect? And yet just this week, in Minneapolis, George Floyd was killed by a white police officer applying excessive force to his neck while other officers looked on. Bringing back memories of a similar act when Paige Fernandez died in the chokehold of a New York City police officer. Meanwhile, just this month, studies from John Hopkins along with the University of Mississippi revealed that while blacks account for only a little over 13% of the population, according to the Census Bureau, they also account for 52% of those infected and 58% of those who have died from the coronavirus. And the study concludes structural factors, including health care access or the lack thereof, unemployment, and pervasive discrimination drive these disparities rather than intrinsic characteristics of black communities. There is an epidemic evil among us. An old virus given new freedom to spread by an administration in Washington that is enthusiastically endorsed by the likes of David Duke and the Klan, as well as by the asymptomatic silence of mainline churches and white Americans who remain conspicuously quiet. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, said Isaiah. The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, said Jesus, quoting his favorite prophet, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release to those who are living in darkness. Jesus promised his disciples, wait for me in Jerusalem. I'm going to give you the same spirit that empowered me. But to be empowered by the Spirit is more than being comforted. It is also sometimes in life to be prodded, 
as individuals, as a church, as a nation. I'm thinking now about what happened to those early disciples when Jesus breathed on them on that first Pentecost, how bold they became. But then, almost before they knew it, there were these persecutions in Jerusalem. They had to go into hiding. They were scattered everywhere. Read the book of Acts. You'll discover that the main character is not Simon Peter. It's not the Apostle Paul. It is rather the Holy Spirit itself. And one of the stories about that spirit is about how Philip, one of the early deacons, went into hiding over there in Samaria, where those low-life Samaritans are from. And it's about how not just the Samaritans, but how the church got the spirit. It's about how Philip wound up rubbing shoulders with the likes of these good-for-nothing half-breed Samaritans even wound up baptizing a low-life, no-life eunuch from, of all places, Ethiopia, a man who wouldn't have been welcome in the temple of Jerusalem even if he had a phony Moses ID card. And so finally, Philip has to return to the national headquarters in Louisville, I mean Jerusalem, and he has to give an accounting of himself. Now, Philip... We've asked you to come here today and appear before the Board of Inquiry of First Church Jerusalem. And we'd like you to explain, Philip, if you can, just what you were doing over there in Samaria. I mean, we are all reasonable people. We like to do things decently and in order. We don't want to jump to conclusions based on rumors. We would like to hear in your own words. What were you doing over there with them? Now, Philip, you know you had no business doing that. Do we need to remind you of your ordination vows? Did not the Lord clearly tell us in the scripture, go first to the lost sheep of Israel? Can't you understand plain Hebrew, Philip? First, it means what it says. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. So what are you doing over there in Samaria? They're not like us. And don't try quoting that stuff from Isaiah about bringing good tidings to the afflicted or binding up the brokenhearted. Don't you know that Isaiah was talking about Israel? I mean, pretty soon you'll be thinking that God so loves the whole world. Besides, with the Romans here, who is more brokenhearted than we? Don't you know that charity begins at home? Philip, who elected you Mr. Missionary of the Year anyway? Don't you know Peter is supposed to be in charge of these things? Didn't Jesus call him the rock? Not you, Philip. You should have checked. You should have emailed the bishop first. Philip thinks to himself, well, we didn't have bishops until the second century, and we didn't have email until the 20th century. Well, you should have checked with somebody. And Philip responds, well, if you recall... I mean, we never intended to go over to Samaria to preach or do anything else. If you recall, when they killed my fellow deacon Stephen, they started going from house to house and dragging people off to jail. And so we just cut out of town. We went over to Samaria because the way we figured it, no good person would be caught dead in Samaria. 
I mean, we were just trying to lay low, just trying to keep our names out of the papers. But then they started coming to us. Who? Well, you know, people who were sick, people who were paralyzed. Samaritans? Well, I tell you, when you're looking at a paralyzed person, it's sometimes hard to determine whether they're a Jew or a Samaritan. They just need you. So we started healing them. And that's when they came to talk about baptism. Baptism? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like, you know, the same spirit that enabled us to heal also enabled us to invite. It was the spirit that did us. Don't blame us. Centuries later, that same spirit came upon another group of Jesus followers, prompting them to think about who they wanted to invite. This is what they wrote. They said, it, it is our goal to sincerely open our doors and our hearts to everyone. We affirm everyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, economic status, sexual orientation, physical disability, or religious beliefs. We welcome those who are struggling to recover from all types of addictions. We celebrate and are strengthened as a church community by this diversity. We believe we are all God's children. Signed, the Greenfield Session, April 1996. What a novel idea. I wonder where it came from. It wasn't our idea to open the doors, said Philip. I guess you could just say, I'm an ordinary guy who got inspired. Get it? Towards the end of his ministry in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his grieving disciples, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered me. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. The Spirit as Comforter. Now, that sounds very cozy and nice, doesn't it? But remember that in the Latin, that word means with strength. And there is a difference between comfort and comfort. In the Bayou Tapestry, there is a scene in which a column of Norman soldiers is riding into battle. At the end of that column is the Bishop of Bayou who is riding behind them. And he is prodding his soldiers with a great big stick. And underneath the bishop are these words. Bishop O'Clue comforts his soldiers. Power, spirit, voice. Where? Here. Here. You've got it. Amen.